everybody just probably needs to shut up. And yeah, okay, he dumped Ty Gibbs for the win. Well, they still gave him the trophy. Dale Earnhardt dumped a lot of people to win races too. All right, welcome to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Klingman, joined as always by Landon Castle. And this is our podcast about all things motorsports. Be sure to check out themoneylap.com for the newsletter uh, three times a week. It's growing. It's awesome. Uh, what can you expect on this episode? All right, so we're going to do something new here. We're going to tell you all what to expect. We're going to rip through the PR lap as well. <laughs> on this one, we're going to talk GMS Racing, pulling out of the truck series. Uh, of course, the NASCAR Racing at the Glen. And all that happened there, my thoughts and my finish, and our thoughts in total. Uh, F1 is back from its summer break this coming weekend. And then the Mazda MX-5 Cup Series, which I raced in at Road America, tested at Martinsville. Apparently, because of uh, a streamer you might know or may not know called Moonhead, uh, who likes to put those MX-5s on iRacing. Uh, Landon, let's jump in the PR lap. We had a lot of response out there, by the way. Are we officially giving Moonhead credit, by the way, before we did? Well, we're going to discuss that, like, that. We're, we're going to discuss okay. it. Okay. Because yeah. I, I think it's a little unclear. It's, it's, there's, there's a couple, there's a lot of layers <laughs> to this one. Um, on the PR lap this week, uh, we've got a lot of reviews out there. First and foremost, if you didn't check it out, last week we interviewed the CEO of Formula E, Jeff Dodds. It was so cool. Uh, great interview. He was a great guy, really open about where Formula E is and where it's trying to go. So go check that out if you haven't. Uh, we're above 105 reviews on, on Apple Podcasts. I have not lived up to my end of the bargain of joining Cameo. Totally forgot. So I'm going to do that some point here today while we record this. Tons of great reviews. I'm not going to read them all, but thank you all for the shout outs. These are great, great stuff. And a lot of the themes are around the idea that we talk about all motorsports, Landon, not just NASCAR, which is pretty cool. Um, we had some nice Spotify comments. And then, of course, the the interview for Jeff Dodds, the CEO of Formula E, uh, had a lot of feedback on YouTube. A couple of the Formula E Reddit community on there checking out and leaving great comments about that uh, interview. So that was cool. A lot of fun. Yeah, that was a good interview. Uh, love it. He was super insightful and talked a lot about a lot of cool things. He gave some insight on. Formula E and where the where the sport's going. I was a little surprised to hear. Um, well, I want to say surprised. I was encouraged to hear him talk about um, how they want to turn the cars up and at least showcase how fast those things can go, even if it's not in an actual racing environment. Yeah, you'll learn about how fast they can go, uh, the money, what it takes to run in Formula E, that there's a 12th team available. We want to make a money lap team. Go, that would be fun. Um and even, you know, what their ideal calendar is like. So pretty interesting stuff. I raced at Watkins Glen this past weekend, as we know NASCAR was there, Landon. I finished third. Boy, did you. <laughs> yeah, finished third. Um, quite an experience. Qualified 14th, I want to say. Got into the top 10 pretty quickly. And then we were probably about a 10th place car. Um, but yeah, came down to late race restarts. Was able to get some good restarts. And... Found ourselves in the last lap of last two laps of once again speedy dry chaos, cars spinning everywhere, going all over the place. We navigated it well and finished third uh, after restarting ninth on that last restart. There, we're gonna drive dive into some controversy on where we restarted and and NASCAR admitting on that later. But uh, in terms of racing stuff, just like a pure breakdown, you know, I think for a day when we probably were 
some of our slowest at a road course this year. Um, we once again were able to net a top three, which was great, great execution. And we probably were pretty lucky because we had a uh, rear suspension piece that was basically at its breaking point when we finished that race. So we got really lucky. <laughs> um, and it put us um, three points yeah. below the cut line. Uh, yeah, from what it sounded like, what you told me on Monday, you were laps or corners away from maybe breaking. So uh, very lucky. Good thing you didn't have any major contact with any other cars, too, um, that could have made that worse or put it over the edge. It was just good, good driving. It was like veteran. That was like a veteran race to just be <laughs> mm. have a tenth place car and finish third with it. I was proud of that. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no, it, it, we were close. I can't say how close, but that thing was on its breaking point. And uh, yeah, I mean that's been so. Just some quick, you know, stuff about our season and, and where we're at here. We're three points out. We got three races to go: Daytona this weekend, uh, then Darlington, Kansas. Obviously, this weekend's a big opportunity. If you look at the last 10 races, I think our average finish is like 9.4 or something like that, mm-hmm. 9.8. Uh, if you go all the way back to Portland, if we finished third or second at Portland, then on the road courses, we've never finished worth the ninth, which was Chicago. Um, we've got the second best yeah. average finish at those. We've got the fourth most points scored on super speedways. Our average finish in the last five is 5.8. Um, it's just like crazy, crazy numbers for the last 10 or 11 weeks of races. Uh, that if we do that in the first half, we're like in the top three in points. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing. You know this. It's amazing what happens with a young team and a driver coming to that team for the first time. And like everyone's sort of figuring each other out and figuring out how to do this. Yeah. When you just start, you know, putting the processes in place and figuring out what works and what doesn't. It's amazing that, you know, what happens when you just sort of go down the right path, I guess. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you guys. uh you guys have been consistent these last two months. I mean, it's been reliable top 10 finishes. So, um, you know, it's who, who doesn't, if, whether it's driver team, all of you together, it's, it feels like you've been reliable in, in terms of that consistency, which, um, you know, ultimately is put you in the position to get yourself in the playoffs. If you love reliability and you need a reliable source for diecast, then you need to check out spoilerdiecast.com. With one of the largest inventories in the industry, they have over 800 unique products currently in stock, including diecast and apparel offerings for NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1. And with their pre-order system in place, you can be sure to get your hands on the latest diecast releases without the long wait. What's even better, Parker? All orders Mm. ship same or next day, and they offer free shipping on orders over $20. Plus, use the promo code MONEYLAP to receive free shipping and 5% off all orders on SpoilerDieCast.com. That's right, 5% off, the most aggressive offer in the racing industry, I think. Don't wait. Head to SpoilerDieCast.com today and get your racing fix. Awesome. That's great. Good stuff, man. Yeah, the uh, just a little background on SpoilerDieCast. Go check them out, but... Uh, developed obviously a close relationship with those guys and it's pretty cool they're a young company that's making waves in the diecast arena and, and doing a great thing and helping a lot of diecasts that maybe aren't going to meet the minimum order quantity meet that minimum order quantity um yeah the community is really responding to it so yeah if you want to support yeah, w- uh a great one, company one that's, more note you know, let's i, let's, I want to give one more note and one more line yeah. of credit to them because we did, you know, we just extended some more ads with spoilerdiecast.com and they're, like you said, they're friends of the pod. Um, they're really seem to be filling a gap in the diecast industry in motorsports. And that is 
you know, just accessibility to these, um, to these awesome collectibles, you know, it's, it's, there's yeah. long lead times and, um, a lot of time, like you said, the minimum order qu- quantities, um, sometimes cars don't even get produced because people just aren't even marketed to the cars that are available to, to pre-order them. So spoiler diecast has kind of filled this gap of, you know, coming in in some of these scenarios and making sure they meet the minimum order quantity so that they can list them on their website so that you, the customer can actually find these cars and buy them uh, when they're available. So it's kind of cool to build a relationship with these guys and watch them grow. That well said, exactly. And that's, what's really cool. And uh, yeah, we love having them here. So go, if you're looking for diecasts, go to spoiler, spoilerdiecast.com, check it out. Let's dive into some of the biggest racing news uh, here throughout the world. And one thing I, before I do that real quickly, uh, that PR lap that we did was about nine minutes long. We want to hear from you. If those are too long or you want them moved around, let us know if you want to hear about <laughs> our racing somewhere else in this pod. Uh, or if you want to hear about those, uh, you know, get your uh, reviews read on this pod maybe later in the podcast. Let us know. We're open to ideas. We are not a uh, closed off situation here. So reach out. Um, so GMS Racing announced today they are going to close the uh, and cease operations at the end of the 2023 season, which is a big deal for the truck series. So obviously a championship caliber organization um, that has also produced trucks with their GMS manufacturing side or fabrication. Um, and this is a big deal. And I've, I've heard this for a while now because of what you saw happen with uh, the legacy motor club, which is uh, what GMS became in the cup series. Switching to Toyota, I wondered if the truck series would continue the operation, uh, and it sounds like it won't. And GMS Fabrication was important to the truck series because they really create a lot of the chassis that you saw the last couple of years for the independent smaller teams. Um, and and obviously, you know, just their teams and the alliances they had with other smaller teams. So we at uh, Henderson Motorsports used them for a long period of time. We don't anymore. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's never cool to see this, but I think, you know, you have to look at what's happened with legacy motor club and the cup series to sort of see that maybe there just was an opportunity to continue with the newest manufacturer mm-hmm. and to have a, have a truck team that's Chevy and a cup team that's Toyota would just muddy the waters. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know if this is a sign of anything indicative of the truck series itself, as much as just the shifting focus of legacy motor club um in my opinion i that's just from an outsider's view and i think the manufacturer alliance is probably the largest factor in that and i would imagine it 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 must mean just reading the tea leaves here it must mean that toyota did not have room in the truck series for gms um and so you know toyota obviously had a certain amount of support they're able to give legacy on the cup side. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also maybe legacy didn't, didn't need the support anyways. Maybe they, they wanted to, you know, focus their operations completely on the cup team. So right now with, you know, the talk about the price of charters and, and the upcoming, you know, impending, uh, TV deals that'll be announced and the money that's out there, there's, there's a lot of blue sky in the cup series. So, um, I think if you're investing in NASCAR, 
Um, nothing to take, not to take away from Xfinity or the truck series, but if you're, if you're invested in NASCAR and you've got that much energy and focus wrapped up in the cup series right now, I think that that's, there's also a lot of blue sky right there. So there's a lot of justification in my mind for a team to, to just say, Hey, let's hyper-focus on this one discipline in the, in the cup series and be the best we can at it. Yeah. And you, you pointed out charter prices, uh, estimated right now to be, or, Rumored to be upwards of $40 million, although none have transferred that price. That's apparently the lowest asking price of ones that are available. Um, Well, and if just to put that into context, the truck series, a championship front-running effort will run around $2.5 million uh, in spend in a year. Two and a half, maybe three on the high end. Um, So you could could do the math to realize the... How large the cup operation could be compared to if you well, ran the, four the, trucks, you're not even getting close to that. What's tough though is you know you could say okay three million dollars in spend to run a championship caliber truck team, but you know even at that level, only a million dollars is in prize money. So you have to fi- not even fill much. a two. Not even not that even much. that much. Not even a million yeah. bucks to win a truck no. championship. So no, you have to so. fill a two million dollar gap, even if you you know, raced at a championship caliber. Um, mm-hmm. So two, two and a quarter million, you have to fill a gap to run a truck series team year over year. So that money has to come from the driver, the sponsor, you know, the manufacturer. Um, and, yep. and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it is on one hand, that's 3 million bucks in the grand scheme of things is not a huge budget for a NASCAR team to operate. But when you really got to fill when three, you know, you got to find three quarters of that money yourself. Um, that makes it tough. It's a really tough model. So I think the truck series will be fine. You know, it's it's actually one of its best uh, attributes is that it just really hasn't changed technically in the last ten years. You know, the trucks have generally been the same design and same rule set. Um, you have the engines that the Ilmore engine that came on a couple years ago, maybe what four or five years ago. And mm-hmm. that has basically cut the engine cost uh, in a third or less. So that's been an amazing improvement. Um, and so they're really at a point where it's it's sort of in a good spot, you know, for mm-hmm. what it offers. And and I think there's operations that, yeah, that have more manufacturer so, support that can make that number more consumable for young drivers and that sort of thing or teams. to. So, and if you don't have that support, it's a tough thing. Let's use this. Let's use this to segue to our next topic. Um, I let, and let's, I'm looking at our rundown here. Let's go straight to the Denny Hamlin topic from this. And then you can go to your cup series and Watkins Glen stuff. So, okay. because you, you made a really interesting point where you were saying that, you know, um, GMS used to be this big fab shop that built trucks for all kinds of people. I don't know. Did, were you saying that they've lost some customers too? And, you know, obviously I think you they guys, have, yes. um, you guys have gone a different direction. Um, obviously they weren't necessarily an engine shop, but the, you know, the, the spec engines, the Ilmore engines in the truck series have kind of leveled the playing field from the competition side of things. The rules haven't changed for several years. So the aero side of things, there hasn't, we haven't seen a ton of development. So in a lot of ways, those trucks have been really consistent, which probably over time does play a role in a once powerhouse manufacturing organization like GMS who built trucks for everybody. And they were the dominant, you know, truck series team, you know, those are the types of little things that play a role in those teams getting smaller and smaller, their manufacturing facilities getting smaller and smaller, and then ultimately maybe not needing to be 
at the same capacity that they used to be. You know, if they did want to run, continue to run trucks, it could be a much smaller operation. Um, and, and it also opens the door for smaller teams like your truck team to be competitive on a week in and week out basis without being a huge manufacturing facility. So segueing that to this next topic, which is a question, um, you know, Denny Hamlin is still not contracted for JGR next year. Where, where will he land? And my segue to that is if there was any, I have, you know, we can, you're better for opening these topics than I am, but (laughs) if we're speculating that Denny Hamlin is might possibly not end up at JGR, right. And presumably maybe even what's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you, you continue. You continue. And I'm sorry if I'm ruining the intro to your topic, but like the, if we're going to speculate that maybe he could go somewhere other than JGR and presumably probably take 2311 with him, right? From a technical support, manufacturer support side of things. What does that tell you about the influence that a previous powerhouse manufacturing key partner team like JGR has in the next gen era? Right? Where right now we're seeing better parity in the Cup Series than we've seen in decades with FRM, you know, legitimately racing their way into the playoffs. Um, teams, I mean, shoot, JTG winning with Daytona 500 wins that, yeah, super speedways in the past have been flukish or whatever you want to call them. But like, you know, last year we had a seeming, I had almost a record number of um, unique winners in the Cup Series. This year is looking pretty similar. Um, you have key partner teams like Stuart Haas who are, you know, struggling to break inside the top 25 at times. Um, and you know, those are teams that would have never found themselves outside of the top 12. Um, now they're just mixed intermixed into the rest of the field with all sorts of different casts of characters of drivers and teams and manufacturer support. So if in this similar to the discussion of the truck series going to standardized engines and the, the rules not changing for a decade on those trucks, basically shrinking the manufacturing load of these teams to operate to the point that it, I don't want to say it put GMS out of business, but like to the point that GMS no longer needed to exist in its previous capacity is the same thing happening in the cup series where you used to have a JGR huge manufacturing behemoth, right? Now has to find a way to justify that spend to their sponsors, to Toyota, right? Um, and and there's it's it's gonna it's is it getting difficult for them to justify that spend of having all of that overhead, all those six to eight hundred people or however many people they have on payroll there and the chassis shops and all that stuff. When you're not building race cars, you're not designing race cars. Um, is that is it harder for them to justify that spend, which ultimately makes it harder for them to keep a guy like? Denny Hamlin around gives Denny the the leverage to say, Hey, I'm going to take my race team and do something more creative with it. You know, maybe he ends up driving his own car. Maybe he goes to another manufacturer and it's not as much of a performance hit as it used to be. So a little background on the Denny Hamlin thing, because I think we, we should, you know, intro this into saying, you know, Denny is in a contract year. Uh, Obviously they line off him with a sponsor. So FedEx and all those different sponsors were in a contract year. Uh, but his race team, 2311, is also in a contract year with Toyota. And Denny has said on his podcast, even as recently as this week, where he said, my deal with 
Joe Gibbs is done. If you know, if it was just me as a driver, I'd sign on the dotted line right now, and we'd all be done. His problem is that 2311 is in a contract year with Toyota. He obviously can't sign with a Toyota team if there's even an inkling or a chance that his race team is not a Toyota team, right? And so mm-hmm. there's been some rumors out there that they could switch. And I think to your point, though, the reason this is interesting is in years past, say five years ago, the old car manufacturing-based series similar to uh, Formula One, right? You mm-hmm. would never fathom this late in the year, August 23rd of 2023, be even discussing a manufacturer swap, right? Those had to be mm-hmm. decided a year in advance, two years in advance, because of the tooling, the the everything you had to build, all the stuff you had to do, right? Now, you swap engines and you swap body parts, right? And then you obviously you have all the infrastructure yep. and the systems and that sort of thing. But that is also one part to your your point is it's not only taking away the leverage from the teams or the manufacturing teams, but it's also changed this this relationship with manufacturers. Could we see teams switch manufacturers more often, quicker, right? Because it can be done so quickly, which in years mm-hmm. past, you would have taken a huge performance hit if you had to suddenly take a new engine in and all the tooling around that and do the body parts and do all new aero and everything be so massively different and the chassis would then be built different and everything would be so crazy different. It's a hu- It used to be a huge undertaking. Now maybe it isn't. So we'll see where this yeah. pans out. You know, Denny has said this is dissimilar to Kyle <clears throat> Bush because he is basically in agreement with his deal with JGR is. But I mean, man, this is odd. Like August, August, talking about a manufacturer and a race team, a two car cup team that has won mm-hmm. races this year and has both cars currently, as we rumble towards Daytona, they're both in the playoffs, but obviously Bubba mm-hmm. Wallace is on the bubble. Um, man, that is that is a whole new world that we're entered here in NASCAR. And I know we keep saying that on this podcast, like new NASCAR, whatever, but really that this is, this is unprecedented territory uh, for this sport. Absolutely. I, it's well, changing it's everything. We'll keep talking about it. Cause it's fun to bring out these new examples of, of, you know, how this has kind of changed some of the dynamics it's put, it, it really, you know, we can see it just by the pure metric of the performance of these mid-level teams or these, you know, secondary manufacturer teams, not necessarily key partner teams. Um, but, so we've seen that in the performance, but just like you said, this has put a lot of leverage in the seat of a team like 2311, right? The, their, this ability for them to be mobile between manufacturers and essentially not have such a sticky commitment to their technical alliance with JGR um, is giving them the ability to um, to probably dictate their agreement with JGR a lot easier. And that is definitely going to you know that those are definitely the <laughs> the considerations that Denny has for himself as a driver and as a team owner um and and like even even beyond just the manufacturing demands of these cars and how this next gen car is more universal across all manufacturers and all race teams you got to think like even the tools that they're using like the simulation tools um yeah the manufacturers are going to have their own simulation tools Chevy Ford Toyota and the teams might have their own tools but now you're looking at still those tools connecting to the same race car right where in the past not only did each manufacturer and each team have their own tools but they were also connecting to their own proprietary race car where so now it's like well shoot if a team and if if an entire i'm going to make two points here number one and if an entire team changes manufacturers 
yeah, they have to learn a new tool, but really they're just learning a new interface, right? It's like mm-hmm. switching from an iPhone to an Android. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you're still doing, you're still working on the same piece of hardware. So your prior knowledge of what that car liked in terms of arrow, you know, and, and all the panning underneath it and the settings there and, you know, for the crew chief and the engineers, the, the chassis balance and the setup, especially if you are switching manufacturers, but keeping your driver, um, that's way easier than, than in the next gen or in the gen six era where you would change manufacturers and change whole chassis, suspension, aero modeling, everything. Right. Um, and then the second point that I want to make on that, this just another example is I've had this conversation several times with people at NASCAR and through the industry is I feel like this idea, this modular car, right. Where it's the same across the board will make it easier for employees of these race teams, crew chiefs, engineers, mechanics to maybe, maybe they don't want to work for a huge corporation like JGR or Hendrick, right? Maybe they want to mm. work for a smaller team like Rick Ware, uh, where maybe it's more flexible. Maybe it's more of a family environment. Maybe, you know, they can get, they, it's not as corporate. There's not as much bureaucracy, HR, whatever, you know, they, they can yep. kind of feel like it's old school racing again, but, but they're working on the same car and they can, they really have a one-to-one knowledge transfer of what they learned at Hendrick or JGR and be able to say, Hey, I'm going to go work for Rick Ware and I can actually make a real impact and a real difference at Rick Ware's team. So a crew chief or a mechanic or an engineer could literally take their toolbox, go from Hendrick to Rick Ware and the car they're working on is the same car they're working on in Hendrick. Right. (laughs) So yeah, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing it though. Yeah, we're You're already the small it. teams going to the big teams, <clears throat> you know, in the uh, or the the crew chiefs and that sort of stuff going from small teams to big teams, and a lot. I think you're going to see more and more turnover, of course. And I think you'll see, you know, Dave Allen's at Legacy Motor Club was a great example of a guy who pre next gen. There's no chance I think he decides to leave Junior Motorsports in a winning crew chief position to go Cup racing uh, at a team like GMS at the time or Richard Petty at the time, and then. You know, but with the next gen era, I was able to turn that into a win. I mean, it was just you know, I mm-hmm. I think I think that's uh you know, there, you are you're on it. Turn, we, yeah. we're going to keep talking about this topic because this is changing yeah. the face so, of this sport and what we know about to, it. To wrap a quick bow on it, to wrap a quick bow on it. Obviously, the one thing is the teams. We'll watch the Denny Hamlin story, that dynamic. But the second thing I think to watch for over the course of the next months, year, however you know, couple years, is see if there's a a personnel transfer from big teams to small teams for the sake of mm. culture or lifestyle or, or whatever, Be- or upward mobility, you know, th- or think upward about- mobility. It just, well, it allows for upward mobility, but what I'm saying is, you know, a, yeah. a crew chief who would have never, who would almost kind of had golden handcuffs at a large organization. Cause it's like, well, I can't leave this big organization because otherwise I'm not going to be able to compete for wins. I'm not going to have the tools that I need, but now they could leave those organizations and go, Hey, you know what? Spire seems like a cool place. Those guys are cool. It's fun. Um, great branding, cool drivers. And I get to work on the same car that I've been working on at Hendrick. I'm going to go give it a try. If Chris Gabehart leaves Joe Gibbs Racing, we'll know it's it's all open. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll be ahead of everyone. I think he's probably one of the smartest people in the whole sport. So, um, and probably one of the best crew chiefs. If he leaves that sort of organization and what position he's in, then just know it's, uh, you know, 
that yeah. exactly what you're discussing is open for fair game for everyone. Let's move on. Let's talk Xfinity uh, at Watkins Glen. Just once again, a wild race, a uh, wild finish at a road course with the track getting old down and, and you had the speedy dry and we went into my part of it. But really, the Xfinity series is just so funny because it's like stuck in time, right? It's it's stock car racing pre-next-gen era and it's not, and it's just, it's the show you want if you loved NASCAR the last 20 years. Like, you want <laughs> old NASCAR, come on over the Xfinity Series because you're just going to get it. The cars yep. are, you know, a bunch of water buffaloes in a china shop. And, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's just, it's everything you thought you'd get stock car racing. They don't drive well. They don't do anything well. And it's kind of stuck in time. And it's a lot of fun to watch, I think, is the, the consensus of why we brought this up. Uh, Sam Mayer won spinning out. Uh, Ty Gibbs and then a battle with Sheldon Creed which it sounds you know a lot of people discuss this but really you know when I look at that issue between Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs you know Sam has a history of of running into a lot of things in the last couple of years but I think this <laughs> one obviously will, yeah as does Ty as do we all um yeah, we all run into stuff at times. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not saying that in a super derogatory manner, other than just to say, like, yeah, he's a young kid. He's had a lot of speed, and he's been someone I knew the day he got a win, <laughs> which it wasn't if, it was when. And when he did, it was like, man, the floodgates open for that kid because he's got all the speed. He just needs to calm down. Uh, but this one, he takes out Ty Gibbs, who had kind of roughed him up off the s's, and in a way that you know, yes, he wheel hopped, yes, he was deep in the corner, but just seemed like he went i think i think denny hamlet said this so i started to steal all his stuff from his podcast if you listen to action detrimental apparently you don't need to listen to us because we have no original pro- content but i i thought when i watched it i had the same thought which is like yes he broke really deep but he broke really deep because he was trying to get to ty Gibbs <laughs> in the breaking zone if that makes sense so i did you i i mean i i just made one point on that which is there was so much uproar on dumping people for the win and stuff. And there was a lot of great debate over it too. It's like, Oh, part-time guy. Then there was a rivalry and yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, I'm, I don't know. I feel like part of me is, even though I will fully engage and you can go find maybe old quotes or whatever of mine, especially now that we're in the podcast world, um, (laughs) you can find old conversations and maybe I contradict myself, but like, I, I'm I'm to this point where I'm tired of talking about that stuff when it comes to a winner. Oh, oh, here was my best point too, was Austin Hill. God love him. I'm a big fan of Austin Hill. I think he's a phenomenal driver. But like there was nothing lamer to me than getting out of the car and complaining about getting spun out by the guy that won the race in this era where like, sorry, dude, like the winner to me is just like, I don't know, winning is what matters, I guess. You know, yep. like it just, as yep. long as you're winning, as long as you're winning it, then, then you can do whatever you want. So you can't draw and, and that's a horrible thing to say. That's not, I don't think that that's the right mentality, but that's just my thought right now, at least. And things, it's just like, Hey, if Sam, Sam's won two of the last three road course races and finished second in the other one, I think, um, yep. I think that like everybody just probably needs to shut up and get better and and yeah okay he dumped ty gibbs for the win well they still gave him the trophy and dale earnhardt dumped a lot of people to win races too and i'm not trying to equate sam Mayer to dale earnhardt by any means but it's just like i don't know you want to get complain complain about being dumped fine but 
the guy's won two of the last three road courses. So sit down, get back to work, and <laughs> go win. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, so you, hey, the other side of that conversation, you know, I in in I I could I could hear I could picture Denny Hamlin saying this, and maybe it's because he he did kind of take this perspective when it came to Ross or something. It's just like you could get super into this dissecting like, well, you know, you got to be smart and we're here for a long time and racing every guy's every week. And there's respect that goes back and forth. And, blah, 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 blah. and it's like, hell no, no, there's not, there's not, not in the Xfinity series, series. <laughs> not in any of those series. Yeah. It, and, and like, you know, I, I think that it's a product of, you know, the rules favor winning so much. The playoff system puts so much emphasis on winning. The cars are indestructible right? You can pound into each other that you can't knock the radiator out of them like you used to. Um, you know, they're so rigid that like just bumping someone out of the way is the easiest thing to do. It, it, it does virtually no damage to your own race car, especially in the cup series. Um, that like the, all of that whole gentleman's agreement and the way that that's why that stuff has gone by the wayside in the last few years. And this is even before the next gen era. I mean, we're still running basically COT cars in Xfinity. Yep. Ever since the COT, these cars have just gotten rigid and and kind of brittle, and you can just bump out of the way. They don't they don't crush. They don't you don't hurt your own arrow. Um, you know, we got rid of steel bodies. Now everything's composite, so that makes it even more. Um, and so, and and then like I said, the rules favor winning. So it's just I don't know. Stop talking about it. Stop complaining about getting bumped out of the way. That's what everybody does to everybody now. So just go freaking win, and. And shut up. Otherwise, you know, Sam Mayer's won two of the last three road courses. Stop complaining. Bam. All right. I don't know. I I was getting myself riled up. up. (laughs) Yeah. Also, they're not so indestructible. At New Hampshire on the restart, uh, mine decided to implode on itself. So (laughs) can I? (laughs) Can I? Am I? Am I ridiculous for? Yep. Saying for trying to say that I'm not endorsing this style of racing. But I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to point out that this is the way it is. Yes. This is not what I voted for. This is not what I, you know, this is not my dream style of racing. I love the art of moving a driver and, you know, protecting your own car at the same time of balancing aggression. I love, I love being respectful to the drivers that you have to race against every single week and, and that, that currency of respect that we're supposed to have. It's just not existent at this moment. So, and well, hold on. And to your, to your point, not to just agree with you, because I, I do agree. And I think you can condone this type of, uh, you can, you can accept this type of racing, not condoning it. Right. And just say, Hey, this is the way it is. And this is why, and you just have to rise up to it or not. The thing I'll say is it's also, I think more not acceptable, but it's almost encouraged more in the Xfinity series because think about what the Xfinity series is. It is a second tier series uh, that is large. It's the second biggest in America, basically, or third, depending on where you put IndyCar. But it, mm-hmm. basically, every driver there is either on a one year contract, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or is is on the is, on, is in a trajectory to either go to Cup or they're not, right? And that's basically yeah. what it is. And you have very few examples of anything in between, right? Where you have a Justin Allgaier who's there, but even his deals, I don't believe, are really you know long term situations like you'd find in the Cup Series. You're not, you haven't found a home. The Xfinity Series is very seldom a home for someone, yeah. and so you know you have a massive incentive to 
go win and do whatever it takes to do that because you yeah. don't really know if you're going to have another chance or you're going to be at Watkins Glen in 2024 in the Xfinity Series. It's just that's the nature for the top yeah. 15 cars, that- myself <laughs> included, right? Like Now you have me not, now you, know you have I mean? me like, ready to to like full on just condone Sam Mayer, <laughs> you know, like doing it cuz it's just like to hell with it. Like I you know, just win, kid. Go win. Who nobody cares. Go that's get my mentality. That's what you're, you know, you're, you're, I think 100%. I'm not trying to call him out specifically, but it's just like, hey, your sponsorship, your parents, whatever, however, your, wherever your money comes from, it only lasts for so long. Right. Exactly. And, and so, you know, people can complain about rich kids and have better opportunities or whatever, but it's just like, hey, he's in, he's in, he's in no better situation than anybody else. Right. The whatever got him in that ride isn't going to be there forever. At some point, those sponsors or that, you know, his, parents fund it, whatever it is, is, is going to run out eventually. And it might take two years, three years, just go win. It just winning's all that matters. It's all that matters. <laughs> it's basically what it just is. Just do it. Just yep. win. Just win. I'm on team Sam. Uh, uh, speaking of winning, we got lined up at the wrong place on the lineup at Watkins Glen. We ended up restarting that last restart in ninth, uh, after thinking we should be fifth. And after the race, I asked for clarification and sure enough, NASCAR admitted this week, uh, on Sirius XM and then in an interview with Dustin Long at NASCAR and NBC uh, that they had not correctly lined up ourselves and the 18 car and the eight, um, which if we restart fifth, potentially, you know, that's a couple rows forward. We could have been in the conversation to win that race against the two and the one. So um, unfortunate, but you know what? I think this is the, the funny part for me on this is that from running the Firecracker 400 like we have, I can kind of see times where things go wrong. The one thing I'll say is what I took from their comments afterwards is that they looked at their process and said, Hey, this is how we can do that better. And to me, that's fine. You do that. Look, I can't ask for it. You're not going to give me points back. You're not going to hand us a trophy. You can't change the outcome. That's all done and dusted. But if you change that process going forward, that mistake can't happen again, then I'm cool with it. NASCAR has improved their transparency in situations, situations like this over the years. So it's pretty cool to see them not just, you know, to first of all to be transparent about it and and then their willingness to say, "Hey, we're we're going to we're going to make it better." So, we spent more time on the Xfinity series uh than we talked about the Cup series this weekend and guess what? This past <laughs> weekend the Xfinity series race was 2 hours and 25 minutes. The Cup series race 30 minutes shorter basically. That's why Under we spent two more hours time long. There's just more racing time to <laughs> talk about. Um there was. So I don't you know a lot of people talking about the Watkins Glen Cup race like it was pretty boring. I would say, you know, that probably was pretty boring. Um but I don't know. I'm not it just that happens. Not all races can be barn burners. I think Watkins Glen um and the next gen has proved to us that you know that both of those that combination can be quite entertaining. Watkins Glen is one of the best road courses for a stock car. It's just so fast and so cool and so unique, but almost akin to an intermediate race because of the speed and the arrow that is involved. It's, there are going to be some that are just a, you know, whatever long green flag runs, strategic fuel mileage, domination, whatever you want to call it. So I don't know. I don't hate it. Um, I still think that whatever, you know, problems, there are or whatever improvements there are to be made with this road course, short track package. Um, you know, the NASCAR is working on it. They know what their problem is, or at least they're seeking out, seeking that out to figure it out. 
um, and they'll work on it. So um, I love not having cautions at the stage breaks, re- even regardless of the outcome of the race this weekend. I still love not having cautions at stage breaks uh, or at this end of the stages. So that was a plus. I think the only thing left to get rid of is the stages themselves. And we're good to go. <laughs> NASCAR <laughs> do it, 2011. Do it at, yeah, let's just go back to 2011. I don't know about that. But um, yeah, I liked running through. You know, I think it's been good on all the other road courses. So let's I'm not. tired of talking about packages and, you know, how to adjust the racing <laughs> and that sort of stuff on this next gen car. I, I think there's there's something weird going on where AJ Allmanier gets out of that car after finishing the top five in an hour and 58 minute race and says, man, that was tough. He said there was qualifying laps, lap after lap after lap, right, for two straight hours of driving a stock car that's still 3,400 pounds around Watkins Glen doing 180 miles an hour into the bus stop, braking so hard, all those things. He gets out and says, man, that was hard. A guy who has won there in the Cup Series, who has dominated the Xfinity Series in road courses, and yet we watch a race that people call boring. Okay, so what are we missing here, right? What's the problem? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously this car is not a traditional stock car. If you wanted that, you watched the Xfinity Series the day before. It's water buffaloes in a china shop. We've got some, maybe, you know, I don't think it's easy to drive. He said it wasn't easy to drive. And he's mm-hmm. he would know. So it's like, okay, what are we missing? These are hard to drive. So is it just because, they, you know, obviously the leader, Clean Air, had a big advantage, I think, you know? Is it a situation where the... Uh, car just has so much grip that yes, as a driver, it feels intense because you're going so fast, but it's not, I guess, you know, there's no discrepancy in the speed amongst cars because they keep their grip for so long. I don't want to dive in the technical bits and I don't want to dive in this too far because I'm too tired of it as well. And I'm sure listeners are tired of this, but it's, it's just fascinating to hear that. And I, I know there's other examples, right. In, in cart, in the late nineties, early two mm-hmm. thousands, there were a thousand horsepower monsters that sometimes the races weren't great because it was so hard to drive. Right? <laughs> we're just hanging on for dear life. Well, but so here's, it's such a weird the, uh, situation. Here's the segue that you probably are looking for and need. And that is that there are so many different versions of what is a good race and what is exciting and compelling. And there are still compelling storylines, even when you don't always see them which is why this next announcement I think is so important for the sport, which is NASCAR finally gets their Netflix docuseries. And as we learned with the F1 Mm. drive to survive series, it showed, you know, this, this new angle that you could see what's really going on in a racing series and all the, the compelling storylines that maybe don't get captured during a, I guess two hour show if it's in the case of Watkins Glen. Um, there's so it, you know, drive to survive taught us taught people that never really even considered themselves race fans, but became F1 fans um, because they were like, wow, they, you know, we had no idea that the compelling storylines and the characters involved NASCAR's finally getting that opportunity with Netflix. And this year they're going to be filming this docuseries through the playoffs and into the championship race. And then, to my knowledge, the goal is for this thing to be released leading up to Daytona for 2024, which so the timing of that is going to be incredible because, you know, new fans, old fans, um, Netflix viewers are going to get a chance in hopefully January, February of next year 
um, weeks before the Daytona 500 to see what happened from a behind the scenes Netflix storytelling lens um, of just the, the most recent uh, NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. So, you know, the, yeah. it, it's it's things like this that that, you know, can show people that a race at Watkins Glen that basically went caution free and seemingly was boring actually wasn't boring at all. It was really important. I mean, look at the storyline of, of Bubba Wallace. Like, the yep. guy, yep. I mean, Bubba is one of the most emotional drivers. We love him. I mean, the guy was, him and his team were almost in tears over his performance um, to finish 12th in this seemingly boring race, but it meant so much to that team, and it should mean a lot to the race fans that follow Bubba and that follow the sport and want to see a compelling storyline going into the playoffs. Um, because now Bubba has a really legitimate shot at making the playoffs going into Daytona, which can still be a wild card, um, but is a place that he runs really well at. So um, it's just, it's really cool to see this opportunity with Netflix. It's I'm anxious to see what kind of stuff they come up with. Obviously NASCAR productions, I think is really involved on the productions um, producing side of it. Um, so, you know, NASCAR will get a chance to work with Netflix and sort of tell their own stories. Um, and yep. and well, capture and these the incredible lines. It's the production team from The Last Dance, uh, which is that incredible documentary uh, with Michael Jordan. Yeah. So I think, I think that is going to be huge to get to put in context. What Netflix is becoming is the distribution platform for stories and sports. <clears> obviously, <throat> Drive Survive lit this up, and it's becoming very apparent that if you have ancillary content, your Monday through Friday content that's going to go deeper than just the live broadcast of a sport it's got to be on netflix and the reason being is that the distribution amongst of netflix is insane case in point right now i am watching the show suits everyone i know is watching the show the show suits right now this show started in 2011 on actual cable television it has now been released on netflix recently and suddenly has been given not a new life an explosion in popularity among social wow. media and everything simply because it made it on Netflix. It's unbelievable the power and the distribution that that platform has. And because it's just become synonymous with the idea of sitting down and going on your TV or your iPad or your computer and thinking, I just want to tune out. You don't turn on terrestrial television. It, you know, Netflix is the go to first one you check of all the streaming platforms, and it just is. And then you go on to the others, right? And it's <laughs> it's like, it's just the go-to. And so it has amazing distribution. It has amazing power. And I think it can be huge as, as long as the content is great. So Parker, to your point. Use use MoneyLap, use promo code MoneyLap to sign up now for your <laughs> Netflix account and get one month free. <laughs> no, not at all. No, go to Peacock. <laughs> Jeez. That oh, was not man. a Netflix ad, but uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, but it is really it exciting. It is really exciting to see this opportunity with NASCAR and Netflix. So um, I can't wait to, you know, this is going to be the ultimate hype story for 2024 for, you know, existing race fans, Netflix viewers, and hopefully bring new race fans to Daytona. Um, but January 2024, hopefully when this comes out, I don't, I, they haven't announced an actual date, but I I, I have some knowledge that, that they're trying to get this out before Daytona. So um, you could assume it's going to be January, February. It'll be fun to watch. <clears throat> which will be the best marketing possible. You know, this is the new marketing for your biggest race, Daytona 500 in 2024. So pretty cool. Uh, IndyCar news. Let's move on. 
Penske and AJ Foyt are teaming up for a technical alliance. And uh, Foyt, uh, with driver Santino Ferrucci, has been probably one of the teams that's been most struggling in terms of the technical department, mm. especially at the road courses and such. Uh, they put a lot of effort into the Indy 500 this year and had a top five effort that uh, Santino did a wonderful job. And pretty cool to see a team, you know, of that namesake, Foyt, teaming up with a powerhouse like Penske, not only just for technical development or technical alliance, but they've talked about crew development, driver development, all sorts of things. So cool to see them doing that. We'll uh, we'll see if their performance picks up with some help from Penske. So pretty cool. Very um, cool. Let's talk Formula One. Formula Un. Un. <laughs> it's back. We're going to go racing again. Uh, Summer's over. has already... Yeah, summer's over. They've all been on yachts and in Ibiza and Ibiza, sorry, and the south of France. <laughs> and uh, where else did we see them? Um, somewhere in the up in the uh, some concerts up in uh, what do we call that? <clears throat> I'm trying to think of where this was. Anyway, I can't remember. Anyway, they've been anywhere cool. <laughs> they were um, not in Myrtle Beach, uh, Wilmington, yeah. <laughs> Boone, North Basically, Carolina. Yeah, if it's cool. And trendy, you could have found a Formula One driver there in the last uh, three weeks. So they're all back. Uh, and there's some news around all of that. So first and foremost, the FIA has continued its new team application process. Uh, but it sounds like it's no longer really about Andretti versus the world of F1 teams. Um but it's actually just FIA versus Liberty Media. And basically, Liberty is the commercial rights holder to Formula One. FIA is the sanctioning body, essentially. Um, and they are in sort of a contentious debate about adding new teams. Liberty does not want it because they do not want to cut into the pie that's distributed to the teams anymore. The teams don't want it. Uh, but the FIA wants it because they believe it's better for the sport to have more teams. So this is uh, something that's reignited here as we rumble towards the next race. Um, I don't know if I have much to say about that. I think that it's, it's just interesting. Their model is a little interesting and how difficult it is for them to expand the field. Um, so, I mean, you know, in, in, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I have that much more to say about it. It, it is a little. It's a little interesting that we have this similar dynamic over in NASCAR, where the charter prices are getting like artificially inflated, and the teams are, you know, not really. Not that the teams have that much control. Well, they own the charters, but like, I guess they're not. Don't really want other people in the sport, right? And they they don't want to share larger pieces of the pie. Who would I guess if you're an existing team? Um. I think now is a perfect time for those legacy F1 teams, though, to take this huge buy-in. Um, but unless they think F1 value will just keep going up, um, that's to me, I guess that's a reason for not being satisfied with any kind of buy-in to allow a team to enter the sport. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's where do they feel it's going, right? And do they feel that adding a team can bring enough, like this whole idea? It's also the thought of basically, can you replace, you know, the what you're going to lose with the growth of the sport, right? So I think it can go both ways in terms of what people are thinking. 
Uh, <clears throat> we did a poll in the Money Lab newsletter this morning, uh, basically saying how many teams F1 should add. Should it be one team, two teams, or keep the grid at 10 teams? Uh, two teams won with 71.4% of the vote in our newsletter. So uh, the fans want it. They want more teams. It's more content. Of course they're going to yeah. say that, right? But the financial yeah. side is what these teams are all deciding on, which is what, what do we do now? You know? I think that's the I tough want more part. Teams, but I want more teams, but if I was an existing team owner, I probably wouldn't. I know. <laughs> you wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want it. Sorry, you I'd didn't like learn to see from me on this segment. It's okay. <laughs> uh, speaking of of uh, streaming platforms, Disney Plus announced that they are doing a, a four part documentary on the Braun GP championship season. Uh, basically, called is it the Impossible Formula One story? Braun GP. Keanu Reeves is one of the executive producers. Uh, so John Wick himself. Pretty pretty nice that he's going to be doing that. Uh, that's a pretty cool one, and that's I you know that's probably some uh, residual things that have been in the works since the F one uh, uh, blow up in the U S. Popularity explosion. It takes time for that stuff to get put together. So obviously we we feel like we've been seeing the popularity peak, and then you know shortly after that we'll see these other um, side quest documentaries and content pieces um, put out. But that'll be a cool one. I, the, actually, the only F1 factory I've ever been to was Braun GP um, in 2009. I met, um, I did meet Jensen Button at Goodwood that year. Uh, got to tour the whole facility. I think we talked about that on the pod a few yeah, weeks we did. ago. Yeah. So, um, that was cool. But we do have the F1 top signal of the week, which we love. Oh, what is about. that? Uh, so Costco is selling tickets to F1 for $350. <laughs> uh, so I think you can buy a ticket to the Coda F1 race um, <laughs> at Costco. And it appears to be like those little cardboard cutout, you know, voucher things, like almost like you're buying a gift card, you know, if you're ever going to, yep. if you're at Harris Theater or Publix or something, and you just grab one of those cardboard gift cards, you take it to the counter and scan it and they'll give you the gift card or whatever, or activate the gift card. So I suppose this must be some kind of voucher thing where you can buy it at Costco and then maybe go online, scan a QR code, whatever, activate it. Um, but yeah, so- you can go to, Costco and grab your F1 tickets for Coda. Who's who's doing this? Because here's the question. When NASCAR was booming in the early 2000s, you had, you know, NASCAR everything. <clears throat> Pajamas, you know, down to everything you could think of had a NASCAR logo mm-hmm. on it or a driver or something like that. And you walked into stores like this and there was this stuff. And then you turn around 10 years later and it's all sitting in the, you know, the giveaway bin. And a lot of it's just like where, who, why, how, did they think of this? Why? You know what I mean? Like, where's this coming from? Right. Mm-hmm. And like, who is the person that was like, huh? Is it Costco that was like, we need to sell F1 tickets? Is it Coda that was like, I got an idea. We're going to put F1 tickets at Costco. Or is it some weird <laughs> company that licenses these things as gift cards? Whatever, and was like, let's get F1 in there. It's going to do oh, big like an things. affiliate. Like, yeah. I, like, I don't know. That is an interesting. Some, some guy that. That's a, that's a really smart well, marketing. That, yeah. That's a really smart marketing tool, obviously. 
Um, it got tons of exposure. Who knows if it actually sold tickets? You know, I'm sure it did, but it is a cool marketing distribution strategy. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, I don't know. I'm just curious. It's going to be some guy that's like, you know, on Twitter here in three years, like how I made 4 million bucks selling F1 tickets at Costco. Uh, <laughs> Twitter thread, you know it too. Um, I don't know. It's It seems like a top signal to me. So... <laughs> It happens. Three hundred and fifty bucks for a G a three day general admission pass is what you can get at Costco. Three forty nine ninety nine. By the way, not three fifty. Got to be correct. Um. Hey, Landon. What? Do you know? Today, I was a little tired when I got up before we did this podcast. But what did yeah. I do to get back in the game? Get my mind working once again. Do you I want had, me to guess or do you want me to let you have it? I'll just take it from here. I had Think Coffee by Four Sigmatic. <laughs> <laughs> it is my favorite coffee. It is the coffee uh, that I choose whenever I'm on race days uh, because it's powered by and infused by functional <clears throat> mushrooms that basically work to wake up your mind. And I'm truly saying this. I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know this that I do believe it does that because it's just unbelievable stuff. It tastes great. I'm a big fan of this coffee. Uh, and guess what? If you want to try Think Coffee by Four Sigmatic, that's F-O-U-R and then S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, you can check out check them out at foursigmatic.com. Use the code MONEYLAP for 15% off. Go check it out. Four Sigmatic Think Coffee. You can also check out their other coffees. Uh, they have like Defend, uh, which is some functional mushrooms that are supposed to help your Protein system. powders. Protein powders, all sorts of different stuff. Good stuff. Um, they're one of the, the most highest selling coffees on Amazon. So uh, they're doing great. And I've heard the leadership team is a bit of uh, motorsport fans as well. So, yeah. you know, for if you're a racing fan and you're thinking new coffee to try out, check out Four Sigmatic Think Coffee. It's my favorite. Let's jump Very into cool. speaking of, yeah, let's talk about speaking of, uh, you know, global things and things doing well, global motorsports topic here. We got a new racing series announced. Someone's beat us to the punch of launching a new series, Landon. <laughs> um, this... Go ahead. Go ahead. Introduce this one because okay. I'm excited. I'm excited about this one because I've been so open-minded to Formula E. Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, <clears throat> it's the Global Electric Sports Car Series Elite World Cup. Basically, this is a nation-versus-nation electric sports car series that's being launched on this banner of the elite world cup. Uh, and they want to basically do it with some Lotus sports cars that are then powered by electric, uh, plat, you know, platforms there. Um, and it's, it's sort of in the vein of what am I, what am I thinking here? Um, of a one GP and, A1GP was, we've talked about it on here before. It was an open wheel series back in the mid 2000s that was nation based. So you had an American team and you had Sweden and China and everyone had a team. And then the driver had to be from that. And they all raced these same spec open wheel cars uh, that had a big motor behind them. And it was a lot of fun. They went to weird places, weird tracks. But the idea was like, who's the fastest nation, right? <clears throat> cool <laughs> concept. This, they're trying to do basically the same thing, but with sports cars. Um, and the what is it called? The Avija? Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's Lotus. It has 2,000 horsepower, apparently. I haven't kept up with that. 
<laughs> so but like, it's not that I, I don't think they've actually announced the car yet, but it's most likely going to be based on this Avija hypercar and which is this electric hypercar that has 2000 horsepower. So, um, that'd be a serious amount. That is some <laughs> grown ass adult horsepower going into a supercar hypercar. I'm sorry. Um, to be raced all over the world. I would, uh, I would love to drive that thing. <laughs> I want to drive 2000 horsepower race car. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Young race series to me are always interesting. How do they get the funding? How do they make it over the hump? You know, we had that discussion with the former CEO. Um, and basically, <laughs> you know, they made it over the hump at formula E, but not, we've seen many racing series come before that did not. So it'll be interesting to see if this one does or doesn't. Um, I think they're planning to go live at the end of 2024, which seems quick, but we'll see how much they've done in the background. They want the very best drivers from around the world. Not sure how they'll pull that off. Uh, I think with things like this, you always have to ask yourself, what's their reason for existing, right? And I think that's a tough thing. So we'll see. Um, hey, maybe this could this, be this the electric racing series that puts a race car, an electric race car on the track that literally makes old school racing fans go, wow, look at that car. Yeah, could be. Right? My internal combustion engine car can't do that. Just paused it. There it goes again. Yeah, and so now he was back. out. Paused it. Yep. Okay. Let's just keep going. Um, well, in the non-electric racing out there, <laughs> <laughs> Mazda MX-5 Cup, we talked about it earlier in the show for a small minute, uh, did a test at Martinsville, which was hilarious. Uh, it seemed like a massive success. They had Dale Earnhardt Jr. come and drive. They had uh, some of the drivers from the Mazda MX-5 Cup <clears throat> Series. They had uh, Moonhead there, the streamer, who does this. And apparently, this is the rumor. The rumor is that this whole concept stemmed from Connor Zilich sharing with the top brass at Mazda the moon car 24-hour race that Moonhead does where he does MX-5 cars <laughs> at Martinsville for 24 hours and thought maybe we could do something in real life. Uh, our producer, Josh, has raced in that race. I wanted to. I got offered this year. couldn't do it. Or last year, wherever it was. Um, but anyway, pretty cool. I'm a big fan of the MX-5 Cup Series. As people know, I raced at Road America last year. had a blast in it. Um, it's a really cool series, great cars. The, the racing is insane. There's bump drafting and all sorts of different road courses and just the cars are a lot of fun to drive. So this could be cool. I mean, oval racing and those things, that's gonna be interesting. So two things real quick. Uh, first of all, this is further proof that I racing and sim racing in general is an incredible proving ground for what can be done and should be done or should be tried in real life. Um, second of all, shout out to Connor Zilich, one of my, no, probably my favorite, um, up and coming driver in motorsports mm. right now that's in the pipeline. So, um, would love to see him. He's in the Chevy system. Would love to see him, um, make it to NASCAR. Very diverse, um, skill set of, of driving for such a young guy. So, um, almost won the Arca race at Watkins Glen. Probably should have won it. Had a broken sway bar, yeah. but. Um, regardless, cool that Connor, um, 
supposedly had gotten this run up the flagpole at, um, at Mazda Cup. <laughs> um, I love it. And, I think. And shout out to Moon. Shifty will be a thing. It will be like the next. The uh, I don't know what kind of racing you'll see to be honest, because that thing they have no power, so you got to like be in Man, the top. The, can the you top imagine of the rev band? And like you're you're always in the throttle. The thing about Road America when I drove it was, it didn't matter if you were gonna miss the apex by five feet, just be in the <laughs> throttle. It didn't matter if you were gonna hit them inside of the road and then end up flying off to the exit curb and off four tires in the grass. You had to be in the throttle. If you were out of the throttle, you were getting passed. So like. It was the funniest unlock moment from everything else I've driven, which is high horsepower, you know, be far more tidy. In those, it's like turn in the corner and then don't even look because you got to be in the throttle. And if hey, you, <laughs> that's all. Hey, I just I just came up with a genius idea. What's that? So I don't know what the TV and broadcast rights are for Mazda MX Cup mm-hmm. stuff, but you know how the NFL does their like side broadcast Nickelodeon themed broadcast. Yep, yep. If they do a race at Martinsville, I wonder if we could get a moon car broadcast to do like a side broadcast of this race <laughs> and get Moonhead. I think we should have E-Racer produce it. We could produce it. I love we'll it. bring we'll get Moonhead, have him put you know, use his graphics to get him get his branding in there. We've got all the infrastructure to produce it like we did the firecracker stuff. All we need is camera views. Yeah. So, I mean, if we could get... Oh, let's do it. We need to talk to the people at Mazda. What's funny about this is when I did that deal with Mazda uh, last year, and I talked to them months prior before that, I actually asked about that because that's when we were doing a lot of our sim racing broadcasts. And I said, hey, who does the broadcast rights to this? And it was at like racer.com. And I thought, I was like, what if we could do that? and get those broadcast rights. Yeah. Right? I asked about it. So uh, funny you bring that up. We'll find out. We'll see what the deal is. Um, that could be really interesting. But We've got and all if, the capabilities to do it. If nothing else, this is, uh, yeah, they, this is us basically publicly saying we're ready and willing. We'll make it happen. We'll join in. We'll help make it a big deal and get a lot of viewers. So that'd be fun. We all right. We need to get David Before- in the booth. Yeah, let's go. Let's get him moonhead. Us, it'd be a great time. Um, I want to close today with something I asked on Twitter that absolutely blew up. I also put it on TikTok. It blew up there. I put out this tweet basically saying, if you could only drive one race car for one lap, where would it be and what race car would it be? What's your answer, Landon? Where and what? Um, I think that I would want to take a, probably a fairly current day. I don't know exactly which generation, but a pretty modern day. Cause I'd want to go fast, big downforce F1 car around at first glance, glance, I'd say Nürburgring because it's a big track. Historic, <laughs> awesome. It would be sick to drive one. But then on the second hand, I would want to drive one at maybe a track that I know. So Coda, well, I know Nürburgring, but I feel like I know Coda more intimately. So Coda would be a cool place. Uh, but yeah, I think I'd love to just drive an F1 car. Would be pretty sick. 
So that's funny you say Nurburgring. That is was by far the most popular answer because it's the longest track anyone could think of. So everyone, yeah. of course, said, said basically, I want to drive X car at the Nurburgring. I thought some of the most fascinating answers I got, and I got, oh, I think almost thousands of answers, um, were some people picking out just specific cars from a specific race on that day and being like, I loved that race. I want to drive that car. You know, oh, yeah. it might be Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s like Daytona 500 winning car in 2004 and being like, I just want to do one lap around Daytona in that car. And I'm like, that's really fascinating. I assumed, you know, Formula One cars would be mentioned the most. Um, one that came up a lot was the Mazda 787B, which I actually got to drive on Proving Grounds a couple years ago, which was the 1,000-horsepower rotary car, the first Japanese manufacturer car to win at Le Mans. I rode the sister car to the one that won. Uh, mm-hmm. Funny story, drove it barefoot, almost crashed it. Uh, got told afterwards it was basically priceless and they basically been offered four and a half million bucks and didn't, didn't take it. So I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to see all the answers. I didn't expect that to blow up. I just had a random thought one day and thought, man, what if they put this out here? Yeah. So for me though, so I have a pretty specific answer and I think this was very common. Nostalgia. I realized played a huge role in the answers, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. about the fastest car or the coolest experience. It was really about you could tell it's about nostalgia cars that meant something races that meant something to people so for me the car that really stuck out to me instantly and i have a model of this back at home connecticut you see it sometimes on these podcasts if you watch on youtube would be the 2002 mclaren mp417 f1 which to me was although it's not the winningest car it was the car that kimi raikkonen was there at at mclaren with i became a kimi fan that that year I became a McLaren fan. And to me, that livery of the West McLaren Mercedes uh, was just the coolest thing there was. Um, and every day I dreamt about being a race car driver. I dreamt about being Kimi Raikkonen in 2002 at McLaren. Like that's what I wanted to be. And so for me, it would be driving that car, I guess the Nürburgring because it'd be the longest experience. I did go between saying, you know, Nurburgring or like a track I knew. Yeah, like Monza, but it would be so quick. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think Nurburgring for sure, and it would be that car. And I don't know. It just, to me, well, now, every pass of it would be so cool. When you, like, when you take me, when you take me down memory lane like that, it makes me say, okay, yeah, Nurburgring, but it's like if you're really tapping into the nostalgia of driving that car in the era of, of you know, our childhood F1 car, right? I'm, Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes me think like Monza or Spa or Monaco. Yeah, know. You know what I mean? Where it's just like put that car where where it raced at a classic <laughs> venue, you know, Formula One venue. Um, I got to do that, you know, uh, self uh, little brag here uh, with the Jeff Gordon T Rex car. Um, so I got wow. to drive that car that at Goodwood. A lot, by the way. What's that? A lot. That one came up a lot. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I didn't get to drive it at Charlotte, um, which, where, which is where it was famously raced and you know dominated and was such a special car. But um, I did, I raced it. Or I didn't, I drove it up the hill climb at Goodwood, and I won driver of the event, which is you know an award that they give out. I didn't win a race by any means. It wasn't the fastest hill climb, but I was the most entertaining driver, I guess, because I did. Um, a burnout right in Lord March's <laughs> driveway and burned two asphalt holes in his driveway by doing the longest burnouts and holding my steering wheel out the window, um, no. which was pretty cool. The crowd loved it. It was, it kind of kicked off this, you know, American trend at Goodwood, I think. Um, 
And since then, there'd been several NASCAR teams. Mike Skinner, um, Childers has gone there several times um, and taken cars to Goodwood. The, you know, so over there, they love, they love seeing the NASCAR race cars, the American cars, um, the American muscle. But I got, that's where I got a chance to drive Jeff Gordon's T-Rex car. Um, and actually, um, you know, got, I, I worked a lot with Rex Stump, which is why the car is called T-Rex. Um, a lot of you might think that it comes from the sponsor that's on the car because it was sponsored by Jurassic Park, um, the movie there. But it was the car was designed by Rex Stump at Hendrick Motorsports, hmm. which I think was kind of the tie-in on the name um, T-Rex. So uh, went there with Jim Long, Herb Handy from H- um, from Hendrick, who, you know, these are guys that had been around Hendrick and actually worked on that car when it raced. Um, it was a pretty special trip. Wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. That's really, yep. really cool. That that car was a very popular answer as well. So we've basically driven two of the most popular answers, the Mazda 787B <laughs> That's and cool. T-Rex. That's yep. car. That was an awesome car. There, you know what I, what I want to say there is to all our listeners, what podcast do you listen to where the two people on that podcast in motorsports can say they've driven two of the most famous race cars in ever? <laughs> <laughs> we are so cool aren't we parker please, we are that's why you stay please, in the money lap please that- leave a review please re- leave a review and tell us how cool we are <laughs> on that note i'm gonna go join cameo goodbye thank you so much for listening to the money lap please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice and be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every tuesday and thursday and you know what we love bringing you all this content for free so what do we ask for simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong if you want to leave us those sorts of opinions Please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.